Well, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open your word to us this day, that you would open Acts chapter 2 to us, that you would uh, show the risen Lord to us as, uh, as you so graciously answered the doubts of Thomas. I pray that you would answer any doubts that are in our hearts, that you would use the words of this sermon and your word, your scripture, to comfort and renew us and to show us Jesus. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. Well, as we gather on this second Sunday of Easter, let's open our Bibles, or if you have the uh, bulletin downloaded from the website, if you have that with you, let's open up to Acts chapter 2 and continue looking at God's big story. Last week, of course, was Easter Sunday, and so we spent time praising and proclaiming Jesus and the remarkable good news of his resurrection. This was the moment that God's big story had been leading toward, that it had been building toward from the beginning. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Though Easter Sunday is the high part point of, of God's big story, we immediately see that the story doesn't end there. God's big story is not finished. Now that Jesus is risen, what, what's the next part? What comes next in God's big story? Well, the next two weeks are about answering that question. Next week, we'll talk about the kingdom coming in its fullness. But this week, we're going to look at the immediate aftermath of the resurrection and how the apostles, and specifically Peter, responded. What we see is that the next part of God's big story is for God's people to proclaim the risen king. Now, a bit of context will uh, help us here. Jesus, of course, has been raised from the dead, and he's appeared to the disciples on a few different occasions, one of which we read about in the gospel reading, appearing to the apostles and then to Thomas. And in the gospel accounts, Luke and John particularly spend time with the risen but not yet ascended Christ. And so if you want to know more about that, I'd encourage you to go and, and read those portions of those two gospels. Now, along with his appearances in, in the gospel accounts, we also have Paul in 1 Corinthians tell us that Jesus appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus commands his disciples to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then he ascends to the Father in heaven. Immediately before our reading, the Holy Spirit has come in power. It's the day of Pentecost, and the disciples burst out of the upper room, so filled with the Holy Spirit that some people assume that they are drunk. <laughs> in truth, they are proclaiming Jesus in the multitude of languages of the people who are gathered in Jerusalem at this time. Peter then stands up and explains to the crowd what is happening and presents the gospel to them, the truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It is a powerful and life-changing sermon. It's the sort of sermon that any preacher worth his salt prays that the Lord would preach through him. And this moment teaches us something very important. You see, many people 
wonder what it is that the Holy Spirit does. If there's a, there's a person of the Trinity that we we don't really wrap our minds around well, it it is the Holy Spirit. Does he come so that people can perform miraculous signs and wonders? Does he come so that people can speak in, in different tongues? Well, in the immediate aftermath of his coming, we see what, what he does. He empowers the gathered disciples to proclaim Jesus. Before our reading, the people hear the disciples proclaiming the mighty works of God. And Peter's great sermon is all about Jesus. And that is the primary reason that the Holy Spirit has come. He comes to point people to Jesus. He comes to empower the people of God to proclaim Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is front and center in that proclamation. Now, why is that? Because the truth is, without the resurrection, we've got nothing. We have nothing to say. Unless Jesus is truly and bodily or physically raised from the dead, Christians are just a bunch of misguided people. Paul tells us that if Jesus is not risen, then we are to be a people pitied above all others. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, well, of course, the resurrection is front and center in our proclamation. But the truth is, it often hasn't been. And that's often because we're afraid of what it sounds like. A friend of mine was uh, reading the Bible with me one time, and uh, at the time, and I believe he still is uh, a non-believer. And he had a ton of questions. And most of those questions, if I'm honest, were about why Christians say one thing and do another. And so we walked through some of those, but eventually we got to the heart of the matter. We got to the truth that he was not a believer because of the resurrection. He didn't believe that anyone could be raised from the dead and thought believing that it happened was just plain crazy. And that's actually not a new sentiment. Paul dealt with the same concern in 1 Corinthians 15. And even Jesus dealt with a group of people who said there's no such thing as the resurrection. They were called the Sadducees. And even we who believe in Jesus can sometimes view the resurrection as, as almost something uh, embarrassing. We worry that it'll be a barrier to our witness because people are surely far too intelligent to believe it. And so we, we set it aside. But that's not what Peter did. The resurrection is almost the entire content of Peter's great Pentecost sermon. And it needs to be the central point of all Christian preaching because without it, we're just wasting our breath. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we're just killing an hour on a Sunday morning. Why then are we to proclaim the risen king? Why is the resurrection so important? Well, first, because of what it shows. And what it shows is, first of all, who Jesus is. Let's not bury the lead here. Jump down to verse 32. Peter proclaims, This Jesus God raised up, and of that, we all are witnesses. He continues in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
The resurrection, Peter tells us, is an actual event. It really happened. And it is the definitive proof that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Why is that? Because if Jesus did not really rise from the dead, he's just another dead leader. It may be a great one, but ultimately no different than any who, who came before him. And we see this because throughout his sermon, Peter's drawing a contrast between Jesus and David. David was, was Israel's greatest historical king. Now, it's kind of a bold move to do this. It, it, it takes some guts to compare someone with the greatest and most revered leader a nation has ever had. It sounds like the equivalent of, say, a president saying they're greater than Abraham Lincoln. Except in this case, it's true. And it's the resurrection that makes the difference. It's the resurrection that shows us that. See, we learn here that the Holy Spirit has shown Peter that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to David, that a king in his line would be enthroned forever. It's the, the promise that we spoke about back on Palm Sunday a couple weeks ago, the promise that God would establish a, a dynasty for David and that it would never end. Peter says to the crowd in verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. As great as David was, he died. Yet according to Peter, David himself prophesied that one greater than him would come, and that he would be greater because he would, remain, he would not remain dead. Verse 31, he, meaning David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Jesus has been risen, and so he will never die again. He will reign for all eternity, fulfilling that covenant that God made with David, making him a kingdom beyond anything David could have imagined. The resurrection shows that Jesus is greater than even the greatest earthly king because it reveals him to be the Lord and Christ. It reveals that he has power over the one thing people have never been able to conquer, death itself. Because he is so great and so powerful that it was impossible for death to hold him. Jesus has conquered it. He has conquered death. Jesus is Lord and Christ. Now, the resurrection also shows us why Jesus came, shows us who he is and why he came. Look at verses 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite, definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter shows us that Jesus came to be crucified and rise again. It is the central purpose of Jesus' life and ministry, and it was not God's plan B. God didn't think, oh no, they've killed my son. I, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that. I guess I better 
resurrect him to solve that problem. No, that, that's not what happened. This all happened according to the plan of God, because the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the whole point. It matters. It is the central thing that he came to do. And so if we lose the centrality of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we lose Jesus himself. Now, the reason I bring this up is that throughout the years, we have set up competing Christs. We've raised up Jesus, the political leader, who comes to challenge the establishment and bring proper rule to the people. We've raised up Jesus, the liberator, who blesses the oppressed and overthrows the unjust. He's Jesus, the social justice warrior. We've raised up Jesus, the moral leader and teacher. We've raised up Jesus, the lover of children and the outcast. We've raised up Jesus, my buddy and pal, who just wants to make me feel better and feed my self-esteem. Now, each one of those things has a, a kernel of truth to it, but they are not the primary reason that Jesus came. He did come to announce freedom for captives and comfort for the poor. He did come to show us how valuable people are and the love that we are to extend to others. He did come to challenge unjust rulers and civil structures, but all of that is secondary to the far greater and far more liberating act of his death and resurrection. Jesus came to deliver himself into the hands of sinners so that he could be crucified and die, to pay the penalty for our sin, to give us the freedom from the enemy of sin and death, and to lift the oppression of our souls, to make the way for us to be reconciled to God the Father. Anything else is secondary. And making anything else primary to the life and ministry of Jesus is to devalue who he is and what he has done. It's to lose Jesus himself and to make a Christ of our own choosing, of our own making. We often want to set the resurrection aside because, as I said, we are often nervous about how it will be heard. We worry that, like my friend, they'll just write us off as crazy people and will walk away shaking their heads in pity at us. But the truth is, without the resurrection, friends, I mean it, we have nothing to offer. Jesus is just another dead leader. He's no different than King David or anyone else in history who had a positive effect. He's just a good person. But the resurrection shows that Jesus is far more than that. It shows us that he came to live and die for us and is now alive as the risen Lord and Christ. Without the resurrection, he's none of those things. And so we need to have that front and center so that people can see who Jesus truly is and what he's truly done for them. We cannot lose it because of our fear nor diminish it by trying to make Jesus something other than the Christ he is or to try to make the resurrection something other than it is by saying, you know, oh, well, it was just a spiritual thing. No, Jesus was actually physically risen from the dead. And I've said it already in this sermon, and I'll say it again and again and again, if we don't preach that Jesus is risen, we're just wasting our breath. 
The resurrection shows us why Jesus came and who he is. It also shows us what it does. What does the resurrection do? Well, first, it convicts us. Did you notice that in the sermon, Peter pulls no punches at all? He's standing before a crowd that just a few weeks earlier was a mob yelling, crucify him. And Peter stands in front of them and says, guys, guess what? You crucified the Lord. You crucified the Christ. It was you. You did this. Now that's a bold move. (laughs) And it's true. And it cuts us to the core. It cuts us to the heart. Because if Jesus died for the sins of the world, if he died to pay the penalty for sin, then each and every one of us can be included in the crowd that Peter was preaching to. In fact, Peter is even preaching to himself. It was our sin that Jesus needed to pay for, otherwise we would be lost. And the whole point of this preaching is to show us that, to show us our need for forgiveness, our need for a Savior. The crowd heard Peter's preaching and responded in verse 37. Now when they, the crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now that is the question that each of us should be asking when we hear the resurrection of Jesus Christ proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Each of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so each of us is a sinner that Jesus died for, and that should cut us to the heart. To make the life of Jesus about anything else is to diminish the resurrection. It diminishes the magnitude of that truth of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, preaching anything other than Jesus crucified and risen is to preach a gospel that's not actually good news because it doesn't diagnose the problem. It's the equivalent of treating a heart condition by splinting a finger. It doesn't come nearly close enough to understanding the weight of the problem that is before us. The problem before us is that we do have a heart condition. Our hearts are sinful and bent inward. In hearing of the crucifixion and resurrection, we should be cut to the heart like this crowd was because we need that conviction. Without that conviction, we will never see the other piece of what the resurrection shows us. We miss the hope that it provides. You see, many people hear about the conviction of sin, and it feeds the idea that that God is just this mean dictator in the sky who wants people to feel bad about themselves and, and know that they're just terrible. But that's not what conviction is about. Conviction is about having a proper diagnosis. It's about understanding that we have a sin problem rather than a society problem. That what is ultimately wrong with people is the condition of our hearts. It's only when we have that correct diagnosis that we can receive the proper treatment. We can see the heart surgeon rather than the general practitioner. And in finding that proper treatment, we are given the cure. We are given the hope of the resurrection. 
This crowd asks, what are we to do? And Peter responds in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is hope. It's the acknowledgement of our need for a Savior. And in repenting of our sins, we find the one who is willing and able to forgive our sins. And that is what baptism is about. It's the sacrament of our dying to sin and rising again to new life. It's the sacrament of the promise of God to cleanse us of our sins. Received by faith, we are united to Jesus, never to be separated again. And that is where this gift of the Holy Spirit comes in. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the guarantee of our salvation. His presence with us is the evidence that we are forgiven, and and that means we can live a life of hope. We've no need for despair anymore. The way of life has been given to us, and it starts with the conviction that we need a way back to God. It starts with the conviction of our sin, and that comes from the truth that Jesus lived and died and rose for us. It comes from the centrality of the resurrection. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Peter tells us that the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself what words of life and hope those are jesus died and rose for us so that we can be forgiven those are words of hope it's tempting to say that we need hope right now more than ever I get the appeal of that, but the the truth is we always need hope. We always need Jesus. We might just see it more clearly now because the idols that we have lifted up and that we have trusted in are being stripped away from us as we face this significant challenge that we're in. But what we consider to be the good days before all this happened... Well, much of that only served to mask our need. We always need Jesus. We always need the hope of the resurrection. We always need the truth that Jesus alone is king and he lives and now offers us forgiveness and hope and life eternal with the Father. We need the hope of the resurrection because it is the one sure thing that we can trust in. All of the other things that we have trusted in can be ripped away from us, as so many of us are are experiencing right now. But the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus purchased on the cross for us, and the conquest of sin and death that his resurrection accomplished, those things are forever. They cannot be taken from us. They are eternal realities. And so because of the resurrection, we can have hope for all of our days. Not just the hard ones, all of them. 
We may think we are unforgivable. We may think that there's no way out of the sin that we are in. We may think that there is no hope, but nothing could be further from the truth because Jesus Christ is risen. And because he is risen, because of what the resurrection shows and what it does, the church must proclaim it. We must proclaim a risen king, a risen Lord and Christ, because without him, we and the, Lord and the whole world are lost. But with him, we have hope and a future beyond our imagining. Because Jesus is risen, we can have life with him and peace and love with our Father forever. And so I suppose the question that we are faced with is why would we ever preach anything else? Jesus Christ is risen. And so we praise and proclaim him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is risen, and because of that, we can proclaim his resurrection, that the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. Help us not to be ashamed, help us not to be nervous or afraid, but to proclaim Jesus with all that we are, the truth that he is risen, and because of that, we have hope and we have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.